0: across our network to week two of fear less fear less we're not talking about a journey to remove fear we're talking about how we overcome it see there is no courage without fear so we're not talking about removing fear but how we live with the ability to do what's right in the face of it how we fear less especially when God doesn't remove the complexity of our lives And we're using a few folks out of the Old Testament to help us understand how to do that because they lived boldly and courageously in the complexity of their day. Now, we're in a season, though, of the year where many people are seeking the adrenaline rush of being frightened. That that space between calm and terrified. Between surprised and fearful. Fearful. Between excited and afraid, there's this space in there where this short-lived fear occurs and it's enticing to us and it kind of draws us in and drives us away at the same time. It happens in corn mazes, it happens in scare houses, and we watch scary movies or suspenseful movies when there's this moment we get scared, cover our face, but then we still look and peek through our fingers. Even on roller coasters, there's this anticipation of the thrill of the ride while we still have to deal with the dread of the terror in it. There's this unique drawing and driving away reality that happens in the same time in that short-lived fear. It's a space that that can draw us in and drive us away. Now, I want to show you an example of what I'm talking about through a video. It's a short video, but I want to frame it for a moment that the noise you hear in the background is the sound of a woman blowing her nose. But watch what happens. Can draw us in and drive us away at the same time. We're afraid, but we're intrigued. Because look, fear is natural. Now, it's not always a laughing matter. Fear can paralyze us, it can cause us to lash out of those around us, cause us to push people into harm's way out of self preservation, even cause us to run away from what we know is right. But fear is natural. Yet it's what we do with that fear that matters. You know, often in our culture, we diminish people who demonstrate or acknowledge any sense of fear. We we call them scaredy cats or chickens or yellow bellies. But fear's natural. We wouldn't be humans if we didn't experience it. Yet it's what we do with the fear that matters. And we're created to be courageous. God has created us to be a courageous people, created us to stand for what matters. So last week as we kicked off this series, we looked at an example of how we can fear less. And we laid a foundation that will run us through the rest of the series around the concept of authority. So let's just take a moment to review the concept to catch us up to speed or just to remind us for those of you that were here last week. You see, whoever we give primary authority to determines who we are and what we do. Whoever we give primary authority to determines our identity and our purpose. And God has positioned and created the world and created us for him to have primary authority. And when we give him primary authority in our life, then we are positioned to submit to him. We submit to his authority in our life. And he positions us then to relate to others where we consider others better than ourselves and also to relate to established authority or government in a way that we can survive in the complexity of that. This is how it's supposed to be. But anytime we move authority, we mess with our identity and our purpose. Whenever we give authority to to government, primary authority to government, that creates a complexity in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others as well. When we give primary authority to others, well, that's where we become a people pleaser. And, And we're actually positioning people to influence us in ways that shouldn't be. We really should be giving authority to God. But too often, we put ourselves with primary authority. And we say, in the complexity of everything, with people and government, I'm just going to take control. Here's what's going to happen. And and I'm going to manage the complexity. But anytime we give ourselves primary authority, we ask God to submit to us. The creator submitting to the creation, that's, that's never supposed to take place. And every time we move primary authority from the divine, we put power and influence in places it was never intended to be. And that's always problematic. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's go to God's word to check this out. And I want to invite you to grab your Bible if you got it and click and turn to Daniel, the book of Daniel. Uh, we're, we're in the Old Testament between Ezekiel and Hosea. So if you actually go to Psalms and you just start working your way backwards, you'll hit Daniel. We'll be in chapter 3. And we're picking up the story out of our time last week in chapter 3, having already understood that in chapter 1, the people of God are in exile. That, that there are actually three deportations from Judah to the, to, the, to Babylon. And and the first one is in 605 B.C. And Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who you may better know by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have been taken to Babylon. And they they demonstrate faithfulness in that first season around the food issue. And and it's all about obedience to God. It's not about the food. And and God blesses that faithfulness, and he positions them with influence. But then when we step into chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has this dream And God positions Daniel to interpret the dream, which then positions King Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge God's authority. And he kind of does, but not fully. Yet he positions Daniel in a greater place of prominence. He puts him over everybody. And then he actually, at Daniel's request, promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. And as we step into chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar has this huge gold statue built, a statue of himself built. Almost as if it's in direct defiance to the prophetic dream that he just had to work through. But it's in this chapter that we can learn a few things about how we can fear less in our own journey. So let's dive right in. Verse 1 in chapter 3 of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide is 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. The height was basically the distance of running a baseball diamond. It was the height of two semi-trailers stacked together. or, Or 15 people my height stacked one on top of the other. It was an impressive structure that he set up with a purpose... He put it on the plain of Dura, and then he summoned the set prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And so those guys came, those leaders came, and they stood before it. Now in that crowd is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They came as administrators in the province of Babylon. They came as requested and ordered and directed. And we're about to see them demonstrate a principle and truth that can transform how you and I live today and how we can actually live and fear less. And that reality is simply that God can be trusted. God can ultimately be trusted even when we can't predict the outcome. God can be trusted even when we can't predict the outcome. Even when we can't predict the what? The outcome. No matter what we're facing, God can still be trusted. He can be trusted in the midst of that complexity. Now let's keep reading about what happens next in verse 3. "'The herald loudly proclaimed, "'Nations and peoples of every language, "'this is what you are commanded to do. "'As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, "'the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, "'and all kinds of music.'" This was a huge orchestra, people. All kinds of things happening on in that music musical arena. He said, "'You must fall down and worship the image of gold "'that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. "'Whoever does not fall down and worship "'will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace.'" How's that for creating a worship environment? (laughs) Do it or die. But that was the complexity that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in. Do or die. Now, this is clearly a test of allegiance. And to not bow down, to refuse to worship would would have been seen as treason. Not simply an issue of religious preference. Treason. So this is a tough place for these guys. But step back out of the story for a moment and think. It's quite possible that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had either seen this thing being built, heard that it was being built, or had some awareness about its existence. They could have talked about what it meant. They may have, they may have even had an inkling that there was to be a bow down moment, or maybe this was a reveal moment, like just a suddenly, hey, now we're all going to bow down. We don't really know how they interacted about it, but we do know is how they responded to it. How they responded to the complexity. And what they do shows us that God can be trusted even when we can't predict the outcome. No matter what we're facing, He can still be trusted even when we can't predict that. So in verse 7, the music starts. It creates this moment where everybody's invited to move primary authority. And leaders bow down immediately out of respect or out of fear. All over the place. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are positioned with a choice. Their choice is to move primary authority or not. This isn't about preference. This, this isn't about comfort. It's not even about belief. This is about faithfulness. This is about who has primary authority in their life. And they could move it to the established authority, the king, and worship the king. Or they could keep it where God wanted it to be, with him. One of the other things they could have done is just given it to themselves and say, you know what, this is really complex, fellas. How are we going to manage government? How are we going to manage others and, and not upset God too much? They could have come up with a scenario. Say, hey, you know what? Here, what? Abednego could have said this. He said, hey, listen, when the music starts, Shadrach, you go to the bathroom so you don't have to worry about it. Just go to the restroom. And, 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 and Meshach, you, you fake sickness. And, and me, I'm going to fake a cell phone call so I don't have to worry about this either. But they couldn't do that. Not just because they didn't have cell phones, people, but because they knew what God had said. That God had said, have no other gods before me. Worship no one but me. I am a jealous God. Now, this had to have immense pressure in this moment. Just intense moment all the way around. People of every nation and language were face down, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew they had no choice. And it wasn't the no choice that the king thought they had. It was they knew they had no choice. They couldn't move authority. They couldn't move primary authority because they also understood that the faithfulness of God must be the line that separates compliance and defiance. Faithfulness to God must be the line that separates our compliance and our defiance. Paul talks about how we're to relate and interact with established authority in Romans chapter 13. Referenced it last week. If you've never spent time studying Romans 13, you need to. Get in there. Study what God says. Study how we're supposed to interact with authority. It is a very complex thing, especially in our season today where established authority is less and less responsive to God, where we're living as holy people in unholy times. We need to understand how we relate to authority because we are to comply to a point. And faithfulness to God is the line that separates compliance and defiance. At least it ought to be. We submit until the issue of faithfulness to God comes up. It means then that we need to know where the lines are, which is why we need to be studying God's Word, because He gives us information about where those lines exist. It's it's also the reason why we need to be in prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit so we can hear Him and obey Him, so we can know where His lines are, so we know where compliance and defiance separate. It's the reason we talked about channel markers a few weeks ago, where we need to be able to understand the internal, external, and concrete realities of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's a complex thing to sit in the dynamic of the authority of government and the authority of God and the influence of others. But when we give God primary authority, it starts to separate out and make a lot more sense and we understand how to navigate that complexity and fear less. But here's what happens next, and you may know the rest part of this story, is that at the same time this music happens, the astrologers are, are identified in some translations as the Chaldeans, which from this passage, I think, is the Babylonian word for tattletaler. Just kidding. They go to the king, and they say, hey, king, you're awesome, you're good, and yeah, you had all this worship stuff going on, and you you said people were to bow down, but we got, sorry, we got to tell you this, that some of the men you put in charge, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, those guys don't listen to you at all, and, and they're not worshiping and bowing down, and that's bad. Now, These guys weren't just saying that out of loyalty to their king or out of patriotism. This was out of jealousy. They had a political agenda. These are the same knuckleheads in chapter 2 who couldn't interpret and couldn't help the king with his dream. But God gave favor to Daniel, so Daniel could. So there's jealousy. They had an agenda. They, They saw Daniel and his friends get promoted. They didn't like that. And whether the king understood their agenda behind it or he just didn't recognize it at all, he was honked. We keep driving on in Scripture. Here's what the next part of the passage says. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now props to Nebuchadnezzar because he took the time to ask. He didn't just function on what he heard. He had a private conversation where he interviewed them and investigated this further and he asked the question because remember, he knew of these guys. He, he had, they had favor with him. In chapter 1, he found none like them in all of the kingdom and he elevated them. And then in chapter 2, he promoted them after he promoted Daniel. But even with that favor, he goes on to say this. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. No harm, no foul. We can move forward. Very good. Just just realign authority a bit here and we'll all be fine. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And they could have said the same God who had that whole dream moment and you, and you praised it at the end of chapter 2. But they don't say that because they realize this is not so much a threat as him having this conversation of, guys, you understand what the problem is here, right? You understand the scenario? And come on, boys, choose differently. Because this is not going to go well if you don't. Now, that just created even more pressure for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to move authority, And it's one thing to take a private stand for God. It's another thing to take a public stand for God. And it's even a greater thing to take a public stand that's challenged. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he he knew about their God through Daniel. And, and, And he's in this space saying, look, you're about to hit my line. And if you hit my line, things aren't going to go well. So choose differently. Can you imagine the enormous pressure to compromise on these three men? To move authority. I mean, it was the king, it was the furnace, it was was fellow Jews, it was their enemies, all of that pushing in to move authority. It had to be tremendous. But faithfulness to God was more important to them than all of that. Here's what was really happening. Nebuchadnezzar's directive to worship was an issue of moving authority. It, It was an issue of saying, look, I'm in charge. And, and if you put me, if you, if you want to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say, look, I get primary authority in this. And, he, and, and others were even supporting it, submitting to him, even facilitating their own agenda within that. And Nebuchadnezzar's strength of threat rested solely on the belief that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego valued their life more than their faithfulness. That, that living was the most important thing for them. But he's actually talking to three guys who looked at their life through the lens of God's authority and considered faithfulness more important than their very lives. The complexity of it begins to go, get more clear. Let's look at what they did. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now listen, that's not a statement about rebellion. That's a statement about authority. They're showing respect in his title, king. They're trying to submit to government, establish to government in a way that honors without crossing the line of faithfulness to God. See, it's not rebellion. This is about authority. And if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He's able. That's a statement of faith. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. That's a statement of belief. Again, your majesty's hand. They're acknowledging established authority, but they're knowing that there's a line to primary authority to God. They go on to say... But even if he does not, this conversation goes to a whole nother level with these six words. Underline them, circle them, highlight it in your Bible. Do whatever you can to mark these six words because they are some of the most faith-filled words in all of Scripture. Some of the most faith-filled words in all of Scripture. But even if he does not, even if he does not, those words scream authority rests primarily with God no matter what he allows or orchestrates. You too many people in that dynamic, they start to negotiate with God and say, "You know what, God, I'll do this if you do that." Okay, this is fine as long as you do this. But anytime we give conditional authority to God, we're not really giving authority to Him at all. And the complexity of this situation became a lot more clear when these guys had the conversation they, they needed to have to say, "But even if He does not, but even if He does not. We want you to know, Your Majesty, still showing respect in the title. And what's interesting to me is they're in all of that pressure, they don't allow the fear to drive them to think about themselves. They keep focused on God and they're even concerned about the king and say, look, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Because we've reached a line. It's the right line of faithfulness to God and we choose to honor God regardless of the cost. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Man, they they knew God's power. But they also knew they needed to do what was right. Even if God didn't do what they hoped or expected. But even if he doesn't. One of the things I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they not only didn't doubt God's ability, they didn't presume to know his will. They understood that God's plans can be different than our desires. They had already seen that in chapter 1. The fact that they were in exile, that was not part of their plan. But they understood that God's plans can be different than their desires. And in that space, able to say, but even if he does not. It shows they kept authority with God. They did the same thing in chapter 1 around the food issue. And and God responded to their faithfulness. And I believe that, that that gave them the courage to stand in this moment where the stakes were much higher. You know, I had to process this, trend, this uh, concept of, but even if he doesn't, in my transition here to heritage. When I was invited to come to the Quad Cities and be part of this church family, I was invited into a temporary role. The title was Senior Pastor Select, which means the board had done its due diligence in identifying me as a potential successor to my predecessor, John. So I was being invited to come into a nine-month to three-year journey A process which really, in many ways, was making sure I was ready, the church was ready, and John was ready to potentially give me a job of senior pastor at the end of that. So, the task before Beth and I was to move our family, uproot our teenage sons, move to the Quad Cities for a nine month to three year interview process with the possibility of a job at the end. Now, I believed God was able in that journey. Believed he was able. I even believed that he would. But along that journey, I had to acknowledge and sit in a posture of, but even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. What allowed me to sit in that space and, and have the courage to risk was the belief that faithfulness was more important than the outcome. That obedience is more important than what might transpire. Now in that journey, there were people who wanted the transition to happen faster and people wanted it to happen slower. There were things in the organization that that made it want to move faster and things that needed it to slow down. So in the complexity of of others and the established organization of the church, in the dynamic of move faster and slower, the only space that I could find peace in the complexity and the uncertainty of it all was right here, where I sat in submission to his primary authority and said, but even if he doesn't, And whatever, but even if he doesn't scenario in your life is today, this is where you need to sit. Anytime you move authority, it messes with your identity and your purpose and it gets really complex. Shadrach, Meshach, and Medigo made a choice. In that time of testing, they weren't gonna move authority. But it's in those times of testing that we can come up with excuses to move authority and compromise. Those three guys had already been faithful in chapter one. They had, after the exile, they are already faithful. They could have said, really, God? You're going to allow this whole bow down thing and this fiery furnace thing even after we did all that? Come on. But they don't. They keep primary authority with Him. And I know, look, you and I have desires and dreams. We may even pray to God and ask Him to, to work and fulfill them. But if we love Him, we can't turn our back on Him, even if He doesn't. Because here's what happens. Once these guys say these words, the king gets furious. Scripture says his attitude changed towards them. He had the furnace heated seven times hotter. He had some of the strongest men in his army come and bind these guys, tie them up, carry them to the furnace. It's so hot, those guys die as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace. It was all intended to incinerate immediately their defiance. But once they're in the fire, the king sits down and he actually realizes, he asks this really silly question. Hey, didn't we put three guys in there? His little cronies are like, yes, your majesty, we did. He goes, but I see four. And they're walking around and they're unbound and they're not harmed. And and the one looks like a son of the gods. And in that moment, he moves towards the furnace in all its heat and intensity. And here's what he says. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the Setraps, Prefects, Governors, and Royal Administers crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. The robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. There was no impact except freedom. There was no impact but deliverance. Courageous humility in the complexities that we face changes everything. It changes everything. Look, we all want our ending to be miraculous like this. And it's a beautiful moment. And God chose to do a miracle in that furnace. But what was more miraculous to me is that he gave these three men courageous humility to be faithful in great complexity. That's the greater miracle for me. He gave them the the courageous humility to be faithful in that complexity. Because ultimately, God is deliverer and defender. God is deliverer and defender of those who honor Him. When we honor Him, He delivers and He defends. Our job is not to defend and deliver ourselves. God is deliverer and defender for those who honor Him. And this authority conversation is about who He is and whose we are, who we belong to. And if Jesus is our Lord, then we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we live here, but our identity is in heaven. If we follow Jesus, this world is not our home. That creates a complexity, though, to live in it, but not of it. And how we handle authority determines how easy or hard it is to live in, but not be of. It, that whole drawing and driving reality and that complexity. It determines how much we can actually fear less. And our job is to live in the complexity of our time, keeping authority where it belongs. See, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to give him primary authority and bow down just like everybody else. The astrologers, the tattletalers, the Chaldeans, they wanted to have primary authority in influencing the things of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by getting the king to submit to their agenda. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... We're naturally tempted, guaranteed to, to put authority with themselves and navigate the complexity by saying, This is messy here and here, and, and we'll try to do the best we can, but we're going to decide how this works out. But anytime we move primary authority from the divine, we put power and influence in places it was never intended to be. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided to say, You know what? Primary authority sits with God no matter what happens, but even if he does not. And that allowed God to do the miraculous in that dynamic. They had met the line. They understood that the line between defiance and compliance was faithfulness to God. It's, it's obedience or disobedience. Even if he does not. Let's go to so what. There are three takeaways that I want to invite us to process and reflect on this week in our own quiet time with the Lord. The first one is that where we stand and when we bow reveals who has primary authority in our lives. Where we stand and, and when we bow reveals who has primary authority in our lives. And if you're wondering, okay, Sean, I, I don't know exactly who has primary authority. Well, look where you stand and look when you bow. What do you stand on? What do you stand for? Who do you stand on? And when do you bow? When do you submit? What do you submit to? Where, where we stand and when we bow reveals who has primary authority. Where we place authority determines when we stand and when we bow, Now, you may feel like the established authority today is functioning in a way that is detrimental to you and our government or even detrimental to your family or our nation or even God. But remember, God is still able to work in that complexity through those who keep their eyes fixed on Him. Remain faithful. Don't move authority. We we have nothing to fear if we sit in submission to God, no matter what He allows or orchestrates, even if He does not move as the way we expect. Look at where you stand and and when you bow. Second thing, we move authority every time we yield to fear. Every time you and I yield to fear, we're actually moving authority. We're moving authority. We, We move authority every time we lie. Every time we choose wrong over right, we're moving authority. Every time we have sex outside of marriage, we're moving authority. Every time we elevate the influence of people or the role of government, we're moving authority. Government provides structure. Government cannot fix what's broken in the world around us. It cannot fix the brokenness in people. It does not determine who we are or what we do. The only person who can change who we are and what we do and fix what's broken is God. That's His job. And we move authority every time we move authority as we submit to fear, we're messing with our identity and our purpose. Every time we yield to fear. When courage can actually feed off of fear instead of the other way around. FDR said this, great quote. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. This is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided, that their faithfulness to God was more important than the fear that they faced, and they would not move primary authority. Listen, courage can feed off of fear. Yielding to fear always diminishes us. We devalue ourselves whenever we yield to it. It diminishes whoever yields to it. And by yielding to the fear of man, we position ourselves where God never intended us to be. He created us to be courageous. That's why the psalmist could say, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? That's valuing faithfulness over our very lives. Saying God gets primary authority. When we move authority every time, we move authority every time we yield to fear. The third one I want you to think about and reflect on is that giving God conditional authority is not really giving authority. Giving God conditional authority in your life isn't really giving Him authority. It's temporary permission. It's not authority. It's temporary permission. When we say, you can be in charge, just do it this way. That's not authority. That's permission. When we say, okay, you've got control. You can take this, but then we take it back. That's not authority. That's temporary permission. It's all conditional. And we're retaining authority in that dynamic. If you have a faith that looks one way on Sunday than it does on Monday, that's not authority, that's permission. If you have a public faith and a private faith and they look very different, then they don't connect. If you're not faithful in every circumstance, if you're if you're faithful until your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your coworker pushes you to cross a line you know God does not want you to cross, that's not authority, that's permission. And if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had given permission rather than authority, they would have got to the fiery furnace moment and go, oh, well, it, you said fiery furnace. Oh, I'm sorry. We're good. We'll bow. But they didn't. They gave him authority, not permission. And God wants authority, not permission. When, when we give God that conditional authority, when we say, God, I'm only going to give you parts and pieces, what we're really saying is we're keeping authority with us. And then we're piecemaling it out where we want it. And whenever we keep authority with ourselves and we try to figure out the complexity of government, especially government that's not holy, or we complexity with relating to others on our own, it gets way difficult, and then we're asking God to submit to us. And in that dynamic, we will never find peace. We'll never sort through the complexity of it all. This is the place that many of us sit and we're trying to give conditional authority. When in reality, we give Him all authority, no conditions, then He positions us to define who we are and what we do, and then He defines how we relate to people and how we relate to government, whether it's holy or unholy. This is the only way it begins to work out. This is the only way that we sit in the, but even if He doesn't, moments and have sanity. It's how we navigate the complexity of this life. And giving God conditional authority is not really giving Him authority at all. He wants us to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with courageous humility Give Him all authority. Sit in the complexity, being willing to say, but even if He does not. So let me ask you this question. Where do you need to choose courage and certainty in God? There's lots of things that are uncertain in our world, lots of things that are complex, but where do you need to choose courage and certainty in Him, saying, but even if He does not? God shows up in our trials and our difficulties. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the fourth person in the furnace he showed up. He, he didn't give the removal of the complexity, but the ability to stand in it. And he will do the same for us if we remain faithful. But too often we try to tell God what to do. Or we give up because of our circumstances. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had plenty of reasons they could have given up. They were exiled. They were stripped of their culture, their freedom, their identity as they were given new names. And God allowed this whole decree to bow down or die. And they were caught doing what was Right? They could have given up, but they didn't because they gave primary authority to God. Not government, not others, not circumstances, not even themselves. That allowed them to say, but even if he does not. What's challenging in that is that God didn't spare them the experience. They had to go through some difficulties. They were ratted out. They were called before the king. They were threatened. They had to choose once again To keep primary authority with God, they were tied up and they had to go in the furnace. God doesn't always remove difficulty, but we're still called to choose courageous humility. And you may have to go through certain experiences as part of the process. Don't skip it. Don't try to avoid it. Jesus didn't. In the heaviest part of his journey, right before the crucifixion, he said, "'Not my will, but yours.'" Jesus didn't negotiate with God. He asked, actually asked God for a, a change of dynamic, a, a change in condition. Say, so take this cup from me. But he quickly followed it up with, not my will, but yours. In a very similar way, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, but even if he does not, they're acknowledging primary authority. God getting primary authority as they serve others and they live under government. Until it means disobedience to God until it reaches that line. You know, I realize that some of us here today have bowed down and we should have stood. Some of us have sought pleasure and identity in, in our careers, in sex, in lying and maligning to get ahead. We've given into pressure to do something and cross a line that we knew that before God was wrong. And whenever we shift authority from the divine, we put power and influence in places it was never intended to be. That is always problematic. And if you struggled or failed in faithfulness before I want you to know that today you can choose differently it, you can walk with God and give him authority today don't let a sense of failure inhibit your courage to step into new faithfulness don't let what was define your ability to step into what can be if you want God to work in your life start by giving him authority if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior then God does not have primary authority in your life He has established the way to relationship with him is through Jesus. And if you've not done that, today's the day for you to do that and give him authority. Where you receive forgiveness for sin, you receive the gift of eternal life and you begin to walk with God. You can do that today and there's instructions in the back of your note guide for how you can step through that process and have the right conversation to give God primary authority. But then we're all called to keep that authority in its place. Here's what happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did what they did. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, didn't move authority, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And as a result of that, what happened next The king said, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their homes be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. No other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted them, all three of them in the province of Babylon. They weren't just spared and saved. They were promoted. They were elevated. And God always honors faithfulness, my friends, in this life or the next it may not be the way that you and I expect, but He always does it. And you may wish that God removed the complexity of your life. he take away the burden. He would, he would keep the fiery furnaces away and the demands to bow outside of being in front of your journey. But the reality is He does allow and orchestrate. But in those spaces, He shows up and He asks us to be faithful. That's where He can live and move and work in ways we never thought possible. And we may very well be led into situations, positions that seem dire and awful. You may not be facing a literal fiery furnace or a royal decree to bow down, but there are things asking for your submission today. Fear, insecurity, doubt, opinions of others, your past, even ourselves. You may not have to go through fire, not be spared from entering into it, but remember in that complexity, God can be trusted even when we can't predict the outcome. So whatever the but even if he doesn't circumstance of your life is, but even if he doesn't heal, if he doesn't remove that complexity, even if he doesn't intervene, the challenge for us is to keep primary authority with him so that he receives glory, honor, and praise. How will you respond in the but even if he doesn't moments? It matters. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the complexity of a world that often just doesn't make sense, that's heartbreaking and filled with pain and loss and hardship and frustration, that you still work in that complexity and you seek to work in and through people who say, but even if he does not, who say we will not move primary authority. You define who we are and what we do and you define how we relate to others and how we relate to established authority. So Father, in the next few moments as we prepare to step back into worship through song, I pray that you would speak, you would direct our thoughts and minds and hearts to the next thing you have for us, to the moment that my friends need to step boldly and courageously, they need to choose courageous humility so that you can show up, but even if you do not, even if you do not show up the way we expect and move the way we thought, may we still place our trust and hope in you regardless of outcomes. I love you. I thank you that you're a God who is worthy of that kind of trust and faith. And we we'll be a people who offer that to you on an ongoing basis. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.